84. You know that King David wrote most of the Psalms, not all of them, but a lot of them. And Psalm 84, verses 1 to 2 and verse 10, he says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. So David says, Lord, your house, your home, your presence is the most beautiful place there is. And my soul feels such a longing that I want to faint. I have such strong desire to be with you, God. My heart and my body cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand days anywhere else. Psalm 63, verses 1 to 4 and 8. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul clings to you. David uses very dramatic language. I would say even very passionate language when he writes the Psalms. My body longs for you, God. My soul is not satisfied with anything but you. Your love is better than life. Um, I'd rather be with you for one day than a thousand anywhere else. It's quite passionate language. And this from the second manliest man that's ever lived. I'd say Jesus is the manliest man that ever lived. But King David is an absolute physical stud. Killed a lion with his bare hands. Nobody's going to tell David that that he's a sissy because he talks about uh, in passionate terms of loving God. David is is just absolutely amazing. And his his mighty men also. He had his, his 30 men that he commanded and you know, there's the, there was a whole group of them that killed lions with their hands just for fun, you know. Uh, well, there's the one guy that went down in a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Uh, you went, the lion's already trapped. You don't need to kill him. But he just did it just because he wanted to do it to prove his awesomeness to everybody else. And he's going down in a pit where if the lion gets the better of him, there is no running away. I mean, he's done for. These guys are just amazing. When, when David and his mighty men were in their 60s, David's son, Absalom, who's in his early 30s at that point, he rebels against his father, starts a civil war because he wants to take over the throne. And Absalom's men, Absalom has the entire army of the country, and David and his mighty men are like, they're they're probably like 56 to 65 years old. There's 30 of them, and Absalom's army won't go fight him. All these young men in the prime of their life, like, "Uh uh-uh, no way. We're not going to go fight those 30 guys. They're in their 60s. Just my, my point is, David is as army ranger, Thor, physical specimen, stud, manly, masculine, and he uses words like delight. I long for you, God. All night I water my pillow with my tears. I can't be satisfied by anything but you, God. My soul clings for you. I'm going to die, God, if I can't have your presence. Ain't nobody going to take David's man card away for talking like that. You wouldn't get to it. I'm just, I'm just telling you guys, uh, just talking to the guys right now, it's not, 
unmasculine for us to love God. There's a lot of guys that don't like to use the word love, uh, maybe for anybody but their wife or their kids, or maybe not even that much. I know some of you are perfectly comfortable with that. Others of you have told me, like that, I'm really uncomfortable singing that song we just sang, Jesus, we love you. Like that, that's just not the language I grew up with. It's not the way my family is. And I, I hardly even tell my wife I love her. Um, some of you, you, you've told me your dad's never told you the words, I love you. And I'm not talking just to men today. I'm just starting out with this. I'm just, because I want to talk to you about loving God this morning, being in love with God. And I want to tell you that <clears throat> there is nothing uh, unmasculine about it because uh, David is ferocious, but he plays the harp and he writes love poems to God and, and uh, uses words like yearning. The man who is not just a good man, not just a righteous man, but passionately loves God, all while being the Navy SEAL that he was. I want to talk to you about being in love with God and not being scared of feeling emotion for God, not being scared of that language, not being afraid to sing those kind of songs because God loves you very, very much and Jesus loves you very much. In October of 2019, Josh and Stacy and Sarah and I were at a conference in Portland and a man named William McDowell was one of the preachers, and he's also a gospel recording artist, and wasn't anybody I'd ever heard of, but he wanted to sing one of his new songs before he preached, and he told us that he had just written this song, and it was fresh on his heart. It was about being in the presence of God so deeply that he lost track of time, and um, he said, I can't sing this song without crying, so please forgive me. Well, he started to sing, and I don't know, his spirit I didn't know anything about him. I, didn't, I hadn't even heard the song yet. Something about his spirit made me hit my knees right there in the, in the row of seats at the conference. I got on my knees, and I think maybe I wept a little bit as he sang, but it was very deeply moving to me um, in his song. But song ended. He got up and preached, and it was good, but it didn't, it didn't do anything to me like his song did. And the night went on, and later on that evening, Sarah and I are back in the hotel room, and we go to bed, and she goes to sleep, and midnight comes, and one o'clock comes, and two o'clock comes, and I'm still awake, and I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to get to sleep. I'm a little stressed out if it's that late. I have not slept well in a hotel room ever. I decided, well, I'll get on my phone, and I'll go buy that song on iTunes if it's available, and I'll listen to that song again. So I put in my earbuds, and I... I got the song downloaded to my phone, and, and I played it, and I, I just started crying, and I cried, and I cried, and I played the song again, and I cried, and I played the song again, and I'm sniffling so much, I think I better move because I'm going to wake up Sarah. So I go to the hotel room bathroom, and I'm sitting on the floor for three hours. I played that song, I don't know, 17 times, 27 times, I don't know. I just laid there and bawled, and it kind of got sore on my back, so... I moved, and I sat on the toilet with my earbuds in, and I went through a whole roll of toilet paper, blowing my nose and wiping my tears, and I'm just, until 5 a.m., I'm just, and Jesus is right here, just loving me. I didn't see anything. It wasn't a vision or a trance or nothing like that. I just, I was like, the love of Jesus was just right there, 
and he didn't tell me to do anything. He didn't really say anything in my mind or my heart. I, I just was overwhelmed with this love from Jesus that I had never felt before. About 5 o'clock, I moved back to the bed, and I was blowing my nose enough that I did wake up Sarah, and, and I told her I hadn't been asleep yet. And, What's going on? And I said, Jesus loves me. <laughs> and I, it's an impossible to describe the feelings I was feeling. Part of it was joy. Part of it was being loved. Part of it was feeling love for him. And a whole heck of a lot of what in the world is going on? Um, I wasn't unloading any stress or crying out of that, anything like that. It wasn't that at all. It was just, it was just love. And, and it just kept coming. And it was, it never went away. Sarah cried with me a little bit. We listened to the song again and, and we prayed together. She went back to sleep and I, I played it again. And I, and finally, I got like an hour and a half of sleep, and I, we went on to the conference, and William McDowell's sitting there in the front row, large black man, and I just got on my knees in front of him as he's sitting in the front row, and I said, I said, sir, I have to tell you what your song did to me overnight, and, and I told him, and we cried together, and he hugged me, and he thanked me for telling him, and it was, I've never been the same since. Um, I don't know what Jesus did to me that night, but things changed. The, the, most of you have known me for a very long time, before a year and a half ago. You know, I, I served the Lord. I grew up a Christian, and I, for as much as I knew, I, I genuinely obeyed God as a high school kid. I, I wasn't out being bad, and, and I obeyed God. I have plenty of regrets and plenty of embarrassing memories that I wish my classmates didn't remember. You know, I'm just a stupid kid, but and, and I, you know, nothing perfect at all. But, but I genuinely was serving God, and I, and then you know, I I was a pastor for, 11, twelve years before this, happened, and it wasn't like you know God, I was born again that night or anything. It was just I don't know. Jesus turned the dial to eleven, and I say it that way, but really He just turned it from from one to two. You know, really, you're like, oh, this is awesome. You know, and I'm really, 20 years from now, I'm going to look back and like, hopefully I look back and say, well, that wasn't anything yet. I hope, I hope. Since that night, I haven't slept well, but I don't care. Uh, it's usually two or three o'clock. I get up and start praying and I want to, I'm excited to, I love my time alone with God. And, and it wasn't like I didn't pray before. I don't know. It's just, it's just different. I read my Bible before. You know me. You know, I know the Bible pretty well. But uh, I don't know. If I open it now, I, I, better be, I better have a couple free hours. If I turn on a worship song, I, I better have a long time. It's not every day that I feel things or interact with him that way, but it's, it's more than ever before. I've cried more tears than in the last year and a half than I have the rest of my life put together. I mean, that I used to joke to Sarah, hey, I had a feeling today, you know, because I'm not an emotional guy at all. And boy, the last year and a half, he's, he's got me wrecked most of the time. And, and then it, it just doesn't quit. There's, there's more. There's just more time and more events and more experiences. And in September, just this last September, I had a dream in the night that I've never told anybody but Sarah about. I've told you several of my dreams, but not this one, and I'm actually having a really hard time this morning because it's so private and so meaningful, 
And you know I'm not a private person. I'll, I'll tell you anything. I tell you all my screw-ups and what God corrects me on and, and what he tells me. And, but I've never, I've never mentioned this one because it was so intense. But in my dream in September, I was in a desert setting. Could have been anywhere in eastern Oregon, but it wasn't. But just a, just a desert. Right in my dream, a shaft of blinding light came into the desert right in front of my view, so much so that I couldn't look at it. And a voice came out of the shaft of light, and it said, I have loved you with an everlasting love, which is Jeremiah 31.3. And I felt the love of God. I felt the love of my Heavenly Father. It was not at all the same as it was that night in the hotel room the year before. That was Jesus, and it was a, it's a totally different feeling. This was intense painful, burning joy. I have absolutely no idea how to describe it. That's the best I can do for you. I can't describe either one of them. It lasted a tenth of a second, and I woke up. And I know it was real, because the feeling I felt could absolutely not have been imagined by me in any way. And I wanted so badly to get back to that. Just give me another second of that, God. And I is gone. I absolutely could not make it come up. I did not imagine that. It wasn't a dream. I felt the love of God. And I tell you what, if that's what eternity, if that's even just the beginning of etern what eternity feels like, whatever he tells me to do is worth it. I, I would say that night in the hotel a year and a half ago is probably my all-time, lifetime, favorite, best memory ever. Um, was the best event of my life. To feel Jesus love me that strongly that long was, it was phenomenal. So I want to talk to you about loving Jesus. And I, you're here because probably you believe in him or you're curious about believing in him. And I, I want to talk to you about loving him. You know this, but when you call yourself a Christian, you're not coming you're not coming to get saved from a church or a pastor or a sermon or a book or a video or a Bible study. You're coming to a man that you must know yourself. And I, I know that you know these things. They're pretty elementary, but God's awesome that way. He keeps things pretty simple. Not easy, just simple. In your own faith... In your own Christianity, in your own walk with God, no one else can know God for you. You have to know God. He's a person, and you have to know Him. And I know that probably most of you in here believe in Him, but have you met Him? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? I know you believe in Him, and you're honestly serving Him doing your best to obey his word, have you actually met him? James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's, there's the key. All you have to do is draw near to him. It's not like God's making you make the first move. Jesus made the first move. He went to the cross. Now you make the second move, which is draw near to God, and God makes the third move, which is draw near to you. You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. If you want to meet Jesus, just ask. 
and he will show up. He will show up in your life and you will know him. You will meet him personally. I don't know any way to tell you how that will happen because it isn't a formula, it's a person. There are no rules that you can perform and all of a sudden you'll just feel the love of God or Jesus will appear to you or whatever. You'll have some ecstatic spiritual experience. That's not the way it works. It's a relationship with a man, with a real person. Just like for the same reason you can't give your wife the valentine that somebody else's wife got. She was really excited, so I gave it to my wife and hope for the same response. It's like, you have to know your wife. You got to figure her out and figure out what excites her and what's, what does she want. You, gotta, you have to know for yourself. But there are some keys that I can give you. That if you will use them, again, not in any formulaic way and not like me or anyone else, but if you will use them like you use them, between you and God, there are some keys, some requirements that God has, some ways to get to know him closer, better. So if you are in any relationship with any person, you have to talk with them. Basic elementary here. So you have to talk with God. On your own, you may really like to listen to Christian songs on the radio or your YouTube playlist or, or whatever, however it is you sing your worship songs, and you may be one that plays a lot of sermon videos on YouTube or however you do that, but you can't live on other people's words. You can learn from other people, absolutely, and I play music, worship music all day long, all the time. Whether I'm driving or in my office or in here praying during the week or whatever is going on, I have music on all the time. It helps me concentrate because um, if not, I get to thinking about what I'm praying about and then I'm just thinking and then I'm, well, I was praying 20 minutes ago and, you know, we all know about that, getting distracted or falling asleep or whatever. So I, in no way am I saying don't listen to sermons and don't pray, but you can't live on other people's words. You have to talk to God yourself. Even if you have to start with somebody else's prayers. That's fine. You read them, but you turn your attention and your intent on, when, if you, even if you have to copy somebody else's prayers. That's totally fine. Just you have to say it. You have to talk to God. You have to give him praise and worship, and that doesn't necessarily mean music. You just tell him how great he is and how much you love him. And, and of course, we go to him with our prayer requests. Of course. God, please save this person. Please heal this person. I need this money by Thursday, God. Uh, help me on this test. Uh, you know, whatever it is. Amen, 100%, yes. But that's not all there is to a relationship. If you're married to somebody and all you do is tell them what you need, you don't have a marriage. Where's my supper? Well, why aren't you taking out the garbage yet? Well, where are you going to paint the shed? And When are you going to fix that le leak in the roof? If that's the way you talk to God... God, I need this and this, and when's this going to happen, and why haven't you done this yet? And you're talking to him, but it ain't much of a relationship. Yes, have a prayer list. It actually really helps you to have things to talk to God about, people that you're asking him to save, and pray for our country, and you know, whatever. Pray for your family and whatever else. Yes, it's not wrong. I'm just saying add to it these things. You need to use the language of surrender when you approach God. We just sang, this is my surrender. 
This is where I lay it down. Every burden and every crown. You need to go to God and not just give him your requests, but give him yourself. Jesus, here I am. I surrender to you today. I'm sorry I went my own way in this and this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this and this. I need help in this and this. But here I am, Jesus. I'm yours. What do you want from me? I give up my agenda. I give up my time and my money. I give up my attention to you right now. Even if you've only got three minutes, just all through the day, for, for 30 seconds, just stop and breathe deep and say, Jesus, I turn all my attention on you. So anything you want to tell me right now, I surrender to you. Just do that five times a day. I know you're busy. I know you got things on your mind. You know, I know my job is a little bit different than yours as far as allowing a schedule of freedom where I can pray for two hours. You can. You just have to get up a little in the night, like I do too. Get really comfortable with the language of surrender. Giving yourself to God. Offerings. God, here I am. I offer you myself. What do you want from me today? How can I serve you? Who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to take care of? Who do I need to forgive? What do you want from me? Some days he will give you things to do, and some days he won't. Some days he'll say, you know what, I don't want anything from you today. Thank you for coming to me. I love you. I'm going to give you a great day. If you think Jesus always has a chore for you to do, um, there, are, there is that, but that's not all there is. Hello? Yeah. Neither does he want you in prayer all day long and not out serving people. Hello? Okay. Come on, just offer whatever you want. And I know that's a scary thing because we don't really want to hear the answer. What if he tells me to do this? I don't want to do that. Whatever he tells you to do or whatever he tells you to quit doing, it's, it's for the best. Guaranteed. Offer yourself. Use the language of need and dependence. God, I need you. Like David, my soul yearns for you. My flesh longs for you. God, I'm going to die if I don't have your presence today. God, I don't know anything. You know everything. Please tell me what you want. It doesn't mean we can't think or that we don't have intelligence, but I give that up to God and I assume that my intelligence is nowhere near his. So Lord, well, I have this plan today, but what do you want? God, I need you. James says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So I pray, God, help me. I pray that all the time, and I suppose you do too. You're in a situation, God, help, save me, whatever. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. Do that. But let me add something to it. If I pray about a situation I'm in, and I say, God, help me do such and such, I am still in charge. And I want God to be my helper. How about if I say, God, what do you want me to do and I'll help you? It's the same request, but the humility is very different. I'm not saying don't pray, help me, save me kind of prayers. I do all the time. God, help. This is, this is too much for me. I don't know what to do. But, but uh, just add to it. God, I don't assume that I know what's the answer here. Tell me what to do. 
and I'll help you fix this situation. (laughs) Get used to using humble language before God, praise and worship, surrender, offering, need and dependence. Get used to being on your knees and on your face. If that's not a way you normally pray, you need to get used to that. Of course, pray while you drive, pray in the shower, pray while you're splitting firewood, pray, pray while you're grooming your dog. Whatever it is you do, pray all the time. But in your concentrated, this is my prayer time, get on your knees in front of your couch or beside your bed. Get on the floor. You should be very familiar with the smell of your carpet. I mean it. You should have your carpet print on your forehead often as you lay prostrate before the Lord, which is what the literal definition of the word worship is, that I lay out flat in front of God. Sometimes, just last night even, I'm in my bed in the dark with my eyes closed and I'm praying, but I, I have the overwhelming urge to cover my eyes with my hand because I can't look on the Lord, on his holiness. I'm in the dark with my eyes closed like, God, I cannot look at you any closer. And that's a regular sensation I have. You can get there. You should be regularly confessing sin, repenting of sin, asking forgiveness. I don't mean beating yourself up or trying to make sure you figured it all out. Just whatever comes up into your mind, confess it. Well, I I don't really know what I should confess. Ask him. He'll tell you. The longer you do that, the more you'll figure out and you'll arrive with Paul where you say, I am the least of all the saints. I am the chief of all sinners. Where when you started out, you're struggling to think of two or three sins you committed today. And years later, you figure out, did I even do two or three things right? (laughs) And it isn't a beating myself up. It's honest humility. Lord, I want to be right. And I want to make it right. So I confess my sin and I ask forgiveness. And, and he'll tell you. And you don't have to worry about what he doesn't tell you. You're forgiven for it all. But if he, if he brings something up, get it clean. Get it right. But in everything, the first of all things is your first love. Revelation Two, Jesus tells the church, he said, everything you're doing is right, but I'm about to throw you out because you've lost your first love. You're not doing it because of love. You're just doing it out of religious duty. Everything that church did, they did correct. And he, said, he tells them, you did this right, you did this right, you did this right, but I'm about to throw you away because you don't love me. It's freedom right now is reading the Practicing the Presence of God, which is a really famous book by Brother Lawrence, who was a monk. He's practicing the presence of God, and he's really famous for everything that he did. He did it all in the presence of God, whether it was washing dishes or reading his Bible and praying. Or everything he did, he did before God. And he went through this stage in his life when it, for four years that he was certain that he's going to go to hell, that God cannot save him. He's too wretched of a sinner. I know I'm bound for hell. He can't get his conscience settled and at peace and clean, even though he prays all day. He's in the presence of God all day, every day. And he said, finally, I just realized I I made the decision, no matter what God does with me, I am going to live every moment of my life for the love of God. And if I'm washing dishes, I'm going to do it because I love God. 
not because the dishes need done. I'm going to do it because I love God. He said, if I bend down to pick a blade of grass, I'm going to do it because I love God. And he, he got there. He arrived where he was literally in the presence of God all day, every day. Practicing the presence of God is the name of the book. Brother Lawrence is the monk who wrote it many, many years ago. It's a name you should know. Freedom says, he's my new favorite man, my new favorite book. So I want to talk to you about love. Luke 12, 34, your heart will always be where your treasure is. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. You may know that in a different translation, but the word treasure there is a finance word, and it means investment or your savings account, your stockpile. Wherever you have put your value, that's where your heart is going to be. So it's just as accurate to say your heart will be where your investment is. And that's true not just of your finances, but in everything. You invest yourself in God, your heart will be moved toward Him. If you are one that struggles to want to pray or to want to worship or read your Bible, the more you invest in God, the more you will want to do that because your heart is there. As you invest more, your heart gets more. Love comes through investment. We have the phrase in English that I fell in love. Well, you didn't fall in love because it isn't a ditch. Um, you may fall into heat. Uh, you, you, may, you may fall into lust. You may fall into stupidity. But you don't fall into love. You invest into love. Hello? You invest your way into love. And the more you invest, the more you store up value and treasure in your kids or your spouse, or your parents, or whoever it is, the people of this church, the more your heart will be there. It's not a mystery how love grows. It's just time and investment. So Sarah and I have been married 23 years back in January last month. So 23 years, and it is incalculable to me how much more I love her now than the day we were married. But on our wedding day, I loved her in all sincerity, as much as was absolutely possible. But my heart did not grow in the last 23 years. It's just that I'm I'm more invested in her now, and she and me, we've, we've had lots of memories, good and bad, lots of love and lots of forgiveness of, of terrible things, and we're invested more. So it's, I don't know that it's, it's not a matter of uh, as you grow older that you're more capable of love, it's just you've, you've put more value in your stockpile. You know, those of you who are parents, you know you love your baby the moment you see them for the first time. You're, you love them with all of your heart, but then when they're three and 23 and 43, you love them all the more because now you have more memories and more investment, and they cost you a lot more <laughs> since the day they were born. You have invested both good and bad. You have invested, and, and that... Somehow, I don't know, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think it's our capacity to love. It doesn't grow with our kids. It's just, I don't even know that it's the amount of love because you love them with all your heart the first moment you see them. But it's the depth, I guess, of love. So, so from the moment you got saved, when you were just so excited to find out God was real and he cares about me and he touched my life and forgives my sin and I feel so clean... You loved him with all your heart. There's more tomorrow. Hello. And there's more tomorrow. And there's more tomorrow. 
At no point can we say, well, I love God with all my heart. There's nowhere else to go. No, you know that's not true. It happens with every person that you love. As you invest more, it goes more. So the more time you spend in prayer or Bible or the more money you give or the more time you give or the more service you give at church or you, you forgive the people he tells you to forgive that you didn't really want to, like, okay, God, I, that, I'm investing. Come on. The more it has cost you to stay faithful to him over time, the more you love him. The closer you are, the more intimate you are, the more you love him. The more sin you discover in yourself, the more you will love him because you realize, I've been doing that for 20 years and he's been patient and putting up with me and loving me and I didn't even know it was there. Where your heart is, your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. So absolutely, you can listen to me and say, well, Mitch, I love God with all my heart and I've never felt what you said you felt. Does, not, does God not care about me? He, absolutely he does, but go for more. If you seek, you will find. If you ask, you will receive. Seek him out. And it won't going to look for you like it did for me. It isn't, I'm, you're not trying to repeat my experience or my feeling. You are trying to know Jesus. And as you do, like, well, I do know him. Yes, there's more tomorrow. Yes. And the day after that, just keep going. In fact, the Bible says for eternity, he will be displaying glory to glory. Well, that's incomprehensible to me. That when we meet God, we'll know all of him, but the next day he shows us more. We're like, oh, now we know it all. No, there's more tomorrow. For eternity, he's going to be showing us new things. So I believe you, that you love God with all your heart. Invest more, and you'll know more love. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Pretty much every time you read that verse, you see it backward. What you see that verse as, mostly, is if you really loved me, you'd be obeying me. Your obedience is a test of your love. It's not what it says. Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, you will obey. Your obedience will just come out. Come on. Love is first. Then obedience. You obey God without loving him first, you'll become a Pharisee. They knew the word of God. They believed the truth. They strictly obeyed. And Jesus said, you're sons of hell because you don't have love. Other people say they have love, but it doesn't result in obedience. It isn't love. If you love me, you'll obey. If you love me, you will obey me. There's your investment. This is everything I'm saying this morning is tied up in that right there. Just fall in love with Jesus. Just want him more than anything else you want. Obey him and love will happen. Love him and obedience will happen. And it's what makes it light and easy. Jesus said, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. Let me give you a practical everyday example of that. You do things, you do crazy, stupid things for the people you love, and you're happy to do them. But you would not do the same thing for your crazy next door neighbor. Because love makes, a, makes the burden easy and light. Hello? 
If it's your kid last night who's stuck on the other side of the mountain and can't get through at 1 a.m. calls and says, Dad, I can't get home. You would jump in your 4x4 and cruise over there and pick them up and not think anything about it. But if it's your neighbor that calls and says, I'm stuck up in the mountains and I was four-wheeling and I need you to come get me, I'm like, oh, this moron. I got to get out of bed and go up and help this person. And ah, love makes it easy. Come on, love makes the, the yoke and the burden easy. There are parents and siblings who've given kidneys to save their sibling or their kids' lives. I, you wouldn't do that for a stranger. Maybe you would, but most of us wouldn't, and rightfully so. But love makes the burden easy. Come on, there is a burden to obeying God. It is costly, it is burdensome. But love makes it like, ah, I love him so much, I don't even count the cost. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. So, if you are begrudgingly, well, I, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible, and Mitch talked about praying on Sunday, and it's Wednesday, and I haven't done it yet, so I guess I better try. Come on. It's love that makes the burden easy. Hello? Love is the motivation. Love is the reason. Love is the goal. Love, it's all about loving Jesus. But it will result in obedience. It will result in communion. It will result in intimacy between you and Jesus. It will result in you knowing him more. Just, just love him and obey him and watch. His love carries the burden. His love becomes your treasure. It becomes what you want. After I had that experience a year and a half ago, I stopped sleeping very well. I was awake every night between 2 and 3 o'clock. And I'd lay awake for an hour or three and at first, it really stressed me out, and then I decided, well, as long as I'm awake, I might as well spend time with the Lord, so I'd get up and read my Bible, or I'd pray, and, and then it became like, oh, well, that was God all along. He's drawing me near. And now, this morning it was three, yesterday it was two, when I wake up, I jump up out of bed, like, all right, I cannot wait for my alone time with God in the lazy boy by the fire and some mornings I get up and I'm, I'm going to pray and I'm asleep in the chair in five minutes. And I sleep there for an hour or two. Other times I'm awake for three hours and I'm just in the presence of the Lord. And I'm usually praying or sometimes reading my Bible. Um, sometimes it's music. Sometimes I'll go on SoundCloud and listen to really good sermons. There's this song, a new song, Community Church in LeGrand. Uh, uh, their preacher has some really good sermons online. I, I listen to those and get really encouraged um, a couple times a week. There's, there's like 200 or 300 of them on there. Love the Lord. Love the Lord. Chase after him with all your heart. Guys, you're not going to lose your man card. We're using words like adoration, all right, and desire and longing. C.S. Lewis said at the end of his life, the greatest thing about his life was the longing, the longing for another world. Don't be afraid, guys. Jesus loves us very, very much. His love is worth anything. He's worth anything. It's worth everything. It's worth everything. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your fiery, passionate pure and holy, righteous love. Thank you for your joy that you take in us. Lord, we 
turn our attention, our affection, our heart toward you. Forgive us for getting distracted by the things of the world and getting too busy to turn our affections to you. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your patience in leading us, teaching us. Thank you for your care as our shepherd and our king. For your great love. Thank you that you love us with an everlasting love, Father. Thank you, Father, for being a father to the fatherless. Thank you, Lord. You are a perfect father. Faithful, holy, true. You never give up. You never leave. Always kind. Lord, I ask for those in the room who have been walking with you in all sincerity for years or decades that have lost that joy of their brand new, fresh salvation. I pray that you'd give it back to them, Lord, that you would let them feel your love, your excitement, your passion for them. Whether that's excitement or tears or both, whatever it is, Lord, break our hearts. Fill us full of life. For those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would open eyes and ears that you would break open the bread, reveal yourself for who you are, that you're real, that you know our name, that you care, you walk beside us every day of our life, that you are, this is not a figment of our imagination, it isn't some vain hope, you are real and you are there and your love is real. More than anything, you want communion with us. Forgive us, Lord, for leaving our first love, for not having that as our number one priority, our only priority. We will surrender to you. We will do whatever you want us to do. Whatever you require, whatever you request, whatever you command is good and perfect. And you are only leading us toward joy and holiness and prosperity, freedom. Speak freedom over everyone in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.